Churnus Miss You Junior Church, and thank you, Bill. That's a wonderful song with wonderful words uh, to lead us into the message today. Uh, we are going to be going to Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, you might go ahead and turn there while I introduce it. You know, we're dealing with a sermon series on dealing with difficult uh, times or difficult questions, difficult subjects. And one of the questions that I received is not really a difficult time like depression and things like that, though I will be preaching on that in the coming weeks. Uh, Today's subject is what is Christ-centered parenting? What is Christ-centered parenting? And in order to introduce that, you know, I thought I would start with something a little different, and that's dad jokes. Maybe you've heard about them. They become quite popular. I don't know where they came out of the blue, but yesterday uh, I went on the corn maze trip with them. We're all in the corn maze, so we thought we would torture the kids with dad jokes. And they really enjoyed these dad jokes that we had, and they didn't have anywhere to go because it's a corn maze. Um, so what did one plate whisper to the other plate? Dinner is on me. What happened when the blue ship and the red ship collided at sea? Their crews were marooned. (laughs) What are the strongest days of the week? Saturday and Sunday. All the other days are weak days. (laughs) Why did the golfer bring two pairs of pants? You know this one. In case he got a hole in one. All right, that's enough dad jokes for now. Uh, What is Christ-centered parenting? Maybe it is joking around with our kids, having a relationship with them, which is really important. Recently, I was listening to Dr. Adelnik on Moody Radio, and he shared the following as his opening word, or actually as part of the end of his opening word. He said, when my son was in high school, I'd wake him every morning, and he'd hop out of bed, and we'd lift weights for 10 minutes. Afterwards, he'd shower while I made coffee. Then he'd dress and join me in the kitchen while we read the Bible together for about 15 minutes. This wasn't about correcting him. No, this daily discipline was instructional. And that's what Dr. Adonik's point was in that is discipline is not always about correcting, it's about instructing. Dr. Adonik was modeling a key part of Christ-centered parenting. And that is that we talk about the scriptures with our children. However, he was also modeling a, another key part of what Christ-centered parenting is, and that is relationships. He focused on a relationship with his son. He spent time with him. Struggled thinking about this sermon and which direction to take it. One is because I allowed you, I asked you, I encouraged you, Uh, to submit ideas to talk about. And some of you might submit an idea, but I might take it a different direction than you had in mind. And so I'm pretty sure it came in simply as what is Christ-centered parenting. And maybe you had a different idea. Next week, we're going to do what is, what is biblical marriage. And we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 2. And, you know, God instituted marriage. And look at what the scriptures have to say about that. And, you know, as I think about what the scripture has, scriptures have to say about parenting, I thought the best text is Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I preached on that text back on uh, April 29, 2018. And so 
I want to lead with that text, and some of the content might be different, some similar, and then I'll go on to some new ideas. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 is also a text, what we would call the household codes, the household codes in Scripture, uh, dealing with parenting as well. But Deuteronomy 6 is, is really, really, really a powerful passage about Christ-centered parenting. And I want to make the case to you that as parents, we must keep Christ in the center of everything. As parents, we must keep Christ in the center of everything. Now, some of you, some of you, your children are raised, and maybe even your grandchildren are raised. And I encourage you, God's not done with you. You're still parents, and you still model keeping Christ at the center of everything. Uh, I've shared before, at least I think, there was a guy who led occasional men's breakfast messages when I was at my last church. And he wasn't part of my last church. At my last church, we partnered with two other churches for men's fellowship breakfast. And we, we, uh, ch- we, we exchanged who was in charge of the speaker. And there was one uh, African-American layman who would give messages. And he would, they were just great, great, great messages. And oftentimes he talked about leading a weekly Bible study with his grandsons. So, you know, no matter how old you are, uh, God has a purpose. Some may not be parents, but you're still paternal influences uh, in many different various ways. Maybe for nieces or nephews, maybe for neighbors, maybe, maybe in many, many other positions. So keep Jesus in the center of your conversations. That's my po- first point. Keep Jesus in the center of your conversations. And I want to read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. It's on page 141. Wow, that got louder. It's on page 141 in your pew Bible. Of course, you're welcome to follow along in the Bible you brought with you or your, or your um, smartphone or something. I'm reading from the ESV today. Now, this is the commandment. This is Moses uh, sharing with them by inspiration from the Lord. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. The Lord commanded him to teach them. That you may do them. There's a purpose. That you may do them in the land in which you're going over. They're about to enter the promised land. That you're going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. Got three generations there. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life and your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. Notice the modifiers. Teach them how? Diligently. Teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise. Notice we see sitting, we see walking, we see lying, we see rising. All talking about the words of God. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and you shall be as, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house on your gates. And that is Christ-centered parenting in a nutshell. Notice that verses one through three, in verses one through three, we see the repeated emphasis on parents teaching their children spiritually. Moses is passing on the commandments, statutes, and judgments. One of my favorite Bible studies I taught 
was when I taught through Deuteronomy in Sunday school. Loved teaching Deuteronomy in Sunday school. And right here, we see something repeated in Deuteronomy. We see the idea of commandments, statutes, and judgments. You can trace them through. And in my Sunday school, which you can find the lessons online, I actually broke down uh, the difference in each of those Hebrew words and things like that. They're repeated. I'm not going to give you the difference now. You can ask me later. But Moses says the Lord commanded him to teach them. The Lord commanded Moses to teach them. And, and, and he's teaching them so they can teach their children, so they can teach their grandchildren the word of the Lord. Moses was commanded to teach them so that they might do them in the land where they're going to possess. In Deuteronomy, the Lord is preparing them, all the people of Israel, to go in and take possession of the land. They're about to take possession of the promised land. And there's a series of sermons. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but let me share it now. Um, Deuteronomy is a sermon or a series of sermons that Moses is giving to the people of Israel before they enter the promised land. Right now, most of Israel is younger than 60 years old. This is because everyone who was 20 and older has died off in the wilderness. Everyone 20 and older has died off in the wilderness because they're grumbling and complaining. You have to go back to Numbers 14, 20 through 38 about that. There were three older men who could keep living, who had faith and trusted the Lord, and that was Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, they're the senior citizens. They're the AARP, isn't that what it's called? They're those people. The rest are all younger than 60, but I think you can get AARP at 55, so. Maybe some others could get it. You can educate me on that later on. All the rest are younger. It's been 40 years of the people wandering around in the wilderness, but now it's time to go in and take the land. And Moses is giving this instruction, this sermon or series of sermons to them about conduct and things like that before they go in and take the land. And when you read through and study Deuteronomy, it is so powerful about the love of God. It is also powerful about the grace of God. It's powerful warnings and instructions that when you go in and take the land, don't follow after the ways of the other religious groups. Warnings, don't forsake the Lord. Warnings, stay true to the Lord. There's instructions about what to do when that happens. There's so much in there. It's so powerful. In verse 2 here, we see a purpose. Moses is to teach the people so that they will obey, and this includes their sons and their grandsons. Verse 3 is urging them to listen and obey, and, and we could have a series of sermons. It would be really neat, nine sermons or more, just on each one of the, these verses, really, because there's so much depth in here. And I notice a repetition in these first three verses that if they listen and obey, they will multiply and live long on the earth, live long on the earth, live long in the land. It's an if then. If they do not listen and obey, if they forsake the Lord, if they do not teach their children and grandchildren the ways of the Lord, they will not live long in the land. We saw that happen in Israel. If you read through the rest of the Old Testament, we see what happens. And we see it's just a striking passage in 2 Kings and again in 2 Chronicles about the reason God gave the Israelites over to Babylon and to Assyria. The reason God let them be defeated is because they let go of their commitment to the Lord. And it's not just that when they let go of their commitment to the Lord, the Lord was saying, I'm going to get them, watch out. 
No, it was that the Lord's ways are best. And since they did not honor the ways of the Lord, the Lord said, have it your way. And when they had it their way, they fell apart. Doesn't take long. It doesn't take many generations to lose the ways of the Lord. When we do not teach our children and our grandchildren the ways of the Lord, it does not take long to get away from it. Get away from them. Get away from the Lord. We are seeing that worked out right here in our country right now. It's not that the politics are the answer. It's that Jesus is the answer. And we are called under God to lead our children and our family spiritually. The home is the first institution that God created. And we are called to lead our family spiritually. And when the, as goes the family, so goes the society eventually. We are seeing that happen right now. So Moses is saying right here, inspired by the Lord, if they listen and obey, they will multiply and live long on the earth. And the corollary would be true as well. If they do not listen and obey, they're going to have it their way. And they did. Israel's life in the promised land is contingent on their obedience to God. So in verses 4 through 5, we see the Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. Notice, no, notice that simple statement. The Lord is one. This may seem basic to us, but not to them. Back then, in their day and age, most of the world, most of the other religious groups were polytheistic. Polytheistic. Poly means many. And theism has to do with gods. So they were polytheistic. Most of the known world, they worshiped many gods. And right here, the Lord is saying, Hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. And actually, we can go a little behind this to the Hebrew and see that even in that oneness, we also see the idea of the Trinity, of the triunity that God had. Uh, notice also, the Lord is our God, and this is the Lord, and it is the word Yahweh. Yahweh is our God. The Lord is our God. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is the, uh, God's covenant name that he gave to the Israelites. Yahweh is a covenant name for the Lord that he gave to the Israelites as opposed to the name Elohim. Elohim is more of a generic term for God. So Yahweh is a unique name for the Lord as opposed to Elohim, which is translated God the second time. The second time God is used is Elohim. The first time is Yahweh. And there's an application there. Theology matters. Every Christian is a theologian, but not every theologian is a Christian. I have A.W. Tozer to uh, thank for that quote. Theology matters. Theology means the study of God. Theo has to do with God. Logi means word or study. So it's a study of God. Theology matters. So we hear three words right here uh, uh, repeated to describe, or no, three words listed to describe our love for the Lord. They are heart, soul, and might. Heart, soul, and might. This means that we love the Lord our God with all of our being, all of our heart, soul, and might. They did not have a word for brain at that point, so they would use the word for heart. And Jesus would later quote this and include mind. And we see that in Matthew 22, 37, Mark 12, 30, and Luke 10, 27. As an interesting note, the only individual in the Old Testament of whom it was said that he turned to the Lord with all of his heart, soul, and might was King Josiah in 2 Kings 23, 25. So then in verses 6 through 9, we see the idea of taking every opportune time to talk about the word. 
when you sit down, when you rise up, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get taking every opportune time to talk about the word with your children, with our grandchildren. You're watching a movie with them. There's this really neat thing that most every TV has now. It's called a pause button. You can pause it and say, what worldview is being shown right here? What is this showing about what it means to be human? Just heard a review from Plugged In. Uh, They have a podcast I was listening to this morning through Focus on the Family about the new Pinocchio movie. What is just showing about what it means to be human? What is the biblical idea of what it means to be human? Taking every opportune time to talk about the Lord, his goodness, his graciousness, his awesomeness with our children. In verse 6, we see these words should be on our heart. And what words would that be? The words of Deuteronomy, Moses' sermon, but we could apply it to the whole Bible. Verse 7 tells us to teach them diligently to our sons. In Hebrew, we have one word that the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, translates as teach and diligently. It's one word in Hebrew for teach and diligently. And this word carries the idea of engraving, engraving. As we recite something over and over again, it is like it is engraved on our heart. And we know through neurological studies now that happens in the brain. Just finished an awesome book, an awesome book called The Body Keeps a Score. It's about 525 pages about the mind and the heart, brain, and the whole body and muscle memory and different treatment options and therapies, all kinds of stuff. Really, really good. Another one uh, called uh, Finding Quiet, which I referenced a few weeks ago, which I would highly commend to you. Much shorter, about 170 pages. But the brain science shows that when we learn something, when we memorize something, when we read something, when we do something, it actually does engrave it, form tracks on our brain. Most of the time, that's positive. We're learning the word of God is building positive tracks in our brain. Of course, it could be negative, such as PTSD and trauma and anxiety and depression and many other things. And it's hard to, hard to conquer and get through with that. But we see right here that God is calling us to recite over and over and over again the things of the Lord. And that's building tracks, positive, good tracks Uh, grooves in our brain. Pastor and author and theologian J.D. Greer writes that many parents talk about their teenager adult children wandering away from the Lord. They're talking to him. He's saying, my kids, I I, I raised him in the church. I don't know what happened. I brought him to church. I brought him to Sunday school. I brought him to, to, to Wednesday night youth group. I brought him. Why did they not stay committed to the Lord? And he'll say, what was your life like between Sunday and Sunday. Here's a formal word they used to use in a lot of uh, different churches and denominations called catechisms. It's a formal word for teaching. Right now, the world is catechizing our children, our grandchildren, more than the church, because what are they in more? And do we care? Do we notice? Do we try to teach about worldview and things like that? And that's why it's critical that our family life is talking about the Lord and, and leading them spiritually throughout the week, Mo- Monday through Saturday. One writes, the reason for this emphasis in Deuteronomy on the children is clear. Deuteronomy is always aimed at the next generation. Next thing I want to emphasize is keep Jesus in the center of your planning. Keep Jesus in the center of your conversations. Keep Jesus in the center of your planning. Christ-centered parenting means that we keep Jesus in the center of our conversations. We keep Jesus in the center of your planning. This includes spiritual disciplines as well as your church community. We have individual spiritual disciplines. Let's call them tag times. Everybody say tag times. Say it a little louder. Wake up. Tag times. 
Thank you. That stands for time alone with God. We all need our daily time alone with God, our daily time in the Word of God, our daily time in prayer, our daily time in other spiritual disciplines. We can engage with God in many other ways, quiet, uh, worship throughout the week, certainly, um, in many other ways. But we need that time alone with God. That's an individual spiritual discipline. We also need corporate spiritual disciplines, and that is time with the body of Christ, Sunday school, small groups, prayer partners, accountability partners, corporate worship like this, volunteering and serving, and we need both. So keep Christ, keep Jesus at the center of your planning, your individual and corporate spiritual disciplines. When you plan as a family, are you factoring in your church community? Or do you plan everything else and the church gets the leftover time? I am telling you, that I've seen too many children walk away when they get out of high school. One of them, I was at my last church and I said, I really wanna meet with you. She was a junior or senior in high school. I was close to the family, close to the parents. She came over, we talked. I said, I see you drifting away and I know what normally happens when you get out of high school. She said, no, 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 I'm not gonna be like my brother. It's funny, she said that. Like my brother, I'm not gonna leave the church. Right now, she's not going to church. Great young lady, love her dearly, respect her, not going. When I was serving as an associate pastor and a youth pastor in Cincinnati, had one of the most committed youth, and she was graduating high school, going to college. Megan and I had her with lunch. We spent a lot of time with her, as Megan and I both did. said, look, this is what happens. You need to be on guard. The world's gonna pull you away. It's gonna pull you away from Christ and from the church. She said, no, it's not gonna happen. It happened. Keep Jesus at the center of your planning. Now, you could do all this right, and it still can happen, but I urge you, I challenge you, keep Jesus at the center seven days a week. Center of your conversations, center of your planning. Mercedes, uh, soccer coach, sent out a text. It says something like, make sure that your daughter is practicing at home. This is the age when girls really begin to learn the skills of soccer. Mercedes soccer coach sent out another text. It said something like, make sure that your child is attending the practices. She's in fifth grade. Soccer is a fun thing for sport. It's not the, for us, it's not the only thing. We were at the game yesterday. It's fun. They won. But it's fun either way. Sitting on the sidelines. Listen to some of the parents, the way they yell at their kids talking to some other parents to our left because for fun. We'll encourage our kids. I'm not going to yell at them. There's no longer a sport. It's no longer entertainment. The Browns have ruined too many days for me. But, you know, there was a miracle Thursday night. I'm sure you all were excited all day Friday. Anyways, it's, listen, there's nothing wrong with making sure your kids are practicing their sport at home, making sure your kid is attending the practices. But what is true of sports is all the truer of the church. If you desire your children to walk with the Lord, you must commit to the church with them. They must be at more than Sunday morning worship, friends club, youth group. They must be at Sunday school. They must be at the worship service of the church. And guess what? You must be there also. You must be here also. It cannot be, thank you, Don, it cannot be that they see you different Sunday morning than the rest of the week. They cannot see you make a mockery of it. 
They cannot see you go fishing and golfing while mom takes the kids to church because that is a sure, sigh, a sure way to, for your kids to leave the church when they get older. What happens at the church must extend to the home. It must go both ways. They cannot hear you mock God at home and then bring them to church. Jesus must be the center. That's what we see in this passage in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. That's what we see in this passage that God is telling them, talk about him all the time. You don't see God tell them, talk about him on your way to synagogue and that's all. No, God is saying when you rise up, when you get in the car, as you drive down the road, take every opportune time to keep Jesus at the center of your conversation. Several years ago, I heard about a parent who was babysitting her grandchildren. Parent babysitting the grandchildren. Her son left her specific instructions. Every day, make sure you do this type of uh, soccer practice with the kids. Nothing wrong with that. That's good. That's grand. Wonderful. Do we do the same thing with church stuff? If our children, with, and I shouldn't just say church, uh, spiritual stuff, if our, if, if, if our parents are babysitting our children, do we say, make sure every day you're leading them in this devotional at night. Every day, you're, uh, on Wednesday night, that they're at Wednesday night Friends Club or youth group. Sunday morning, you're taking them to church. I know people who are parents who will actually let their kids, <laughs> their adult kids, their, sorry, parents who will let their kids, which are the grandkids, stay with their parents over the weekend, even though that means missing church. Now, sometimes that's unavoidable. Other times I think it's sinful. The sin of omission, not doing what God calls us to do. Jesus must be the sinner. Now, I want to answer something right here, some objection. Some of you grew up in a very, you would word, use the word legalistic Background, a legalistic childhood where being a Christian meant you have to, you have to, you're less than a Christian if you're not at this and that and the other thing. Listen, technically legalism is having to earn our way to heaven, okay? And that's always not right. We do not earn our way to heaven. We do these things, these tag times, time along with God, these corporate spiritual disciplines to grow in our relationship with Jesus, to connect with Jesus. And just because we were raised maybe with a too, too rigid of a standard doesn't mean that you throw out everything. That would be becoming uh, nihilism, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. That would be throwing everything out. You don't do that. You just recognize now a different level of grace. I mean, if you were raised with a stringent standard of eating, Maybe you were raised and your parents were so careful about eating that it was always vegetables and, and eating like a rabbit and all that type of stuff. And you, you could never have a milkshake or anything delicious. You had, and I'm not saying healthy food is not delicious, but it's not. You know, if you were raised with that type of standard and now you grow up and you have a family of your own, do you just say we're not going to eat because I was raised in a legalistic standard of eating? No, you just recognize an element of grace. We still recognize that, that we need to be with our church community and in the word of God way more than Sunday morning. Say that you were raised with this legalistic standard of eating. And so you grow up and you say, I'm, I'm leaving that legalistic standard behind. So I'm only going to eat once a week. No, that wouldn't work. I'm only going to eat healthy once a week. That doesn't work either. 
No, we need these different activities with the body of Christ. And that is Christ-centered parenting. Keeping Christ at the center of our planning means that we think about church when we schedule. We think about spiritual disciplines when we schedule. We have family devotions. We have family conversations about God. We pray as a family. We sing a worship song as a family. We must keep Christ at center. So we keep Christ at center of our conversations. We keep Christ at center of our planning. And keeping Jesus at the center means practicing simplicity. This is something that increasingly is becoming more and more convictional to me. We make ourselves and our families so busy. Simplicity means we recognize our limits. Do you recognize our limits? You know, last spring, from January through uh, May, I taught a class at Malone University. And I believe God wanted me to teach that class as an adjunct when I was given the opportunity. But I actually, looking back, think God wanted me to teach that class for a different reason than I wanted to teach that class. I really thought the students were going to be excited to come to class every day. They were 40 students and all that, and, you know, not just playing their cell phones and all those things. But really, God wanted me to teach that class to help me recognize my limits. And as I taught that class, I realized I was way too busy. We can't do it all. We can't have it all. We have limits. There's a book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, by a guy with the last name Cesaro. And he writes, the primary issue here is to remove distractions and remain free from attachments. 1 Corinthians 7.32 in the message says, live as free of complications as possible. So you're free to concentrate on simply pleasing the master. Pleasing the master. For this reason, he continues, this is from the book, he says, for this reason, our children were not in three sports at one time while learning violin. We are careful to not buy every new electronic or technological item to help us save time. Instead of having five credit cards, we have one. Instead of cooking elaborate meals and having a house that is always perfectly clean, we have made choices to let that go. We are no longer involved in 15 projects at the same time in our service for Christ. We do less but do it better than before. Simplicity. That's critical in our day and age right now, and it's critical in our families because we are getting pulled in so many different directions. I know what some of you might be thinking. Yeah, I practice simplicity. That's why our kids don't come to Wednesday night Bible study, friends club, youth group. No, I would argue that's the wrong way to go. (laughs) It might be the right way if they're in a Tuesday night Bible study, friends club, whatever, except I do think there's a priority that should be to one's local church. We cannot have it all. We have to cut some things out so that we can prioritize God and our family. We must understand that. Create a family mission statement and stick to it. Let's make some applications and summarize here. Keep Christ at the center of your conversations. Take every opportune time to talk about the Lord. That does not replace your commitment to the local body of Christ. We need a community of Christians, not just our individual life committed to him. As I look at that Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 passage, it seems that the Hebrew people were supposed to be talking about God everywhere they go. We ought to have family devotions with our children, our grandchildren, but don't leave it at just family devotions. It's not, all right, I read the devotion. I'm good for the day. Let's go watch something horrible on TV. Let's never talk about God again. It's probably better, I hesitate to say this, but I'm going to say it. It's probably better to be having an open, ongoing conversation with God uh, and, ab- and about God with our family than only having family devotions and leaving it at that. We need an ongoing relationship with God and with our family. 
We ought to sing songs of praise as a family, model worship. We ought to prioritize church as a family. John Piper was asked once his opinion of children's church and stuff like that, and I loved his response. He said, your children need to see their parents worshiping the Lord. That wasn't his whole response. I can send it to you if you want. But that was something that stood out to me. The children need to see that the parents care about worshiping the Lord. And I try not to be distracted by what I see on Sunday mornings. But it's so difficult. I see people kind of playing around during worship. Not taking it seriously. And worse when their children and grandchildren see that. We need to model the reverence that this matters. This is important. We are worshiping almighty God. He is amazing and no one to be trifled with. He is worthy of worship. We ought to prioritize church as a family and we must have a constant spiritual conversation. There's a well-known author and pastor. He's retired now. He's John Piper. I wasn't going to give his name, but I will. It's big it's news. Everybody knows this anyways. Um, maybe not everybody. Maybe not all of you. I'm going to tell you, but um, people who know of John Piper know it. And his son, Abraham Piper, who's probably around 50 years old or so now, turned on his faith. Totally turned his faith. Now, John Piper, one of the leading founders of the Gospel Coalition, chancellor of Bethlehem College and Seminary, uh, very well-known writer and speaker, speaker at Passion Conference. I, I have great respect for him. And for his son, Abram Piper, to turn on the faith, that happens. It can happen to the best of them, right? Except it made it worse because his son started making TikTok videos against Christianity, which must be extremely hurtful for him. Make matters worse, his son's TikTok videos, he became what's called an ex-evangelical. It's a, it's a term now. Um, to make matters worse, his son was getting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of hits on these TikTok videos. The irony to me is that he probably only got all those hits on his TikTok videos because of his dad. I mean, his dad uh, has millions of listeners to his Ask Pastor John podcast and many other things. But I read an article a few months back where somebody said, why Abraham Piper's TikTok videos make me respect his father, John Piper, all the more. I haven't watched many TikTok videos of him. But from what I understand, he would be in a particular area, Abraham Piper, and he would talk in a video about how his dad would talk about certain Christian themes in these areas. And the other author said, I respect his father, John Piper, all the more now. Because it was like everywhere his father took his son and his children, he couldn't help but talk about the Lord. So that now, when this son, a grown man of around 50 years old with a family of his own, when he's in these different areas of the area of Minneapolis and, and parks and places, he can't help but think about the Christian instruction that his father taught him there. I find that powerful. We must keep the Christ the center of our conversations. We must keep Christ the center of our planning. And to do this, we must practice simplicity. We cannot have it all. We cannot have every sport. We cannot have every media device. We cannot watch every form of entertainment, watch every movie, TV show, read every book. We cannot have it all. We need to embrace our limits. There could be much more to share about this. I exhort you, keep Christ the center. When Sunday school started in the late 18th century, there was a concern that Sunday school was a bad thing. People even wrote against Sunday school. Can you imagine that? But this, this was their reasoning. They said, once we start Sunday school, the parents will no longer teach the children the Bible in the home. 
The things a church does are critical, but they are never to replace what happens in the home. I remember being a small child, reading the Little House books, still love those books, and Sunday afternoons, Pa would read the Bible to the children. It starts at home. Whose job is it to disciple the children? Guess what? There's something called the 4 for the four. Dash 14 window, 4 14. And this is a statistic that says if a person is to receive Christ, it is most likely to happen between 4 and 14 years old. Children have their value set by around 9 years old, most of the time, even 5 years old. It starts very young. It starts very young. Many of your grandparents, in that case, I encourage you to model this for your grandchildren as well. I want to, I want to just kind of um, close with a personal note. I don't like to use myself as an example. I believe that Megan and I do some things right and some things wrong. In fact, before Mercedes was born in 2010, I actually wrote up my own philosophy of parenting. Megan and I went over it together, and I'm pretty sure we broke all of them in the first year. So we do some things right and some things wrong. And I don't want to talk about the spiritual parenting. I want to talk about the relational parenting. And that Sunday night, I heard a noise from one of the kids' rooms. And so Megan and I go in there. And Mercedes, who's 11 now, who is pretty good at making it to the bathroom. She's sick and things like that now. Uh, she said, uh, she's sitting up and said, my belly hurts. I thought, oh, it's going to be one of those nights and uh, one of those weeks. And so uh, we got her a bucket because we buy ice cream by the bucket just so we can have those buckets for later. We make sacrifices that way. We just want the buckets for paint and you can never have enough of those ice cream buckets. So we got her a bucket and, and it was one of those nights. We stayed up, Meg and I together with her till about 1 a.m. I did till about 4 a.m. because I'm always hesitant to go back to sleep and then you, you know, something happens. I'd rather, you know, be there. And so I stayed up reading and stuff and uh, she slept till about 4 a.m. I was still here by 8 a.m. in case you're wondering. And the point I want to share is parenting can be exhausting. Grandparenting can be exhausting. Some of you live close enough to your kids that when that happens, maybe you get the call. Hey, can you come over? You know, um, it can be exhausting, but it is oh so rewarding. And I don't think anyone here would disagree that being a parent, being a grandparent is the most rewarding job that there can be ever. And also, my children, our children, are God's children before they're our children. They're really not even our children. They belong to the Lord. And we have a stewardship under the Lord to provide for them physically, their physical needs, their felt needs, to provide for their emotional needs, to provide for their educational needs, and to provide for their spiritual needs. He calls us to do that. We must keep Christ as center. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I thank you so much for your word and this instruction in Deuteronomy chapter six that is echoed all throughout Deuteronomy. It's echoed all throughout Deuteronomy about keeping you at the center of our parenting. And Lord God, I pray that you would help us. There are so many things that pull at us. As some people, I'm sure, sitting here listening or maybe listening at home may think, oh, we try to limit distractions. We try to practice simplicity. My job is so busy. And we can't control those things that much. There's so many different things. Help us as parents making time for you. Help us as parents making the hard decisions to say no and say yes. Help us as parents to have discernment. And help us as grandparents as well. 
I shouldn't say us there, I'm not there yet, but as grandparents, knowing when to say something to our adult children and when not to. How to encourage them but not nag. That takes real discernment. And I pray your blessings. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Praise team's gonna lead the closing song. The altars are always open. They're always open in general, but uh, certainly for the closing song. If God said anything in your heart, maybe you wanna pray about uh, children or grandchildren straight from the Lord or, or something else, maybe a sickness or illness in the family or even a neighbor, come forward and pray. And we'd be glad to pray with you. There is power in praying together as a body of Christ with others. Let us pray for you and pray with you. We're gonna sing the first two verses. Thank you.